Scientific America published an article, The Neuroscience of Everybody's Favorite Topic. And the subtitle is, or was, Why Do People Spend So Much Time Talking About Themselves? The, the article says, if you're like most people, your own thoughts and experiences, it may be your favorite topic of conversation. On average, people spend about 60% of conversations face-to-face talking about themselves. And this figure jumps to 80% when people are communicating on social media. We're me monsters. My favorite subject is me. It's what I like to talk about, what's happening in my life, the good things that I'm doing. And so it's not always bad to talk about yourself, but we're kind of prone to do that. And the question is, is why? And their thesis is this, because it feels good. It feels good to talk about ourselves. When we share info about ourselves, there's actually a burst of activity in the neural regions associated with reward, motivation, and pleasure. It's a high people chase by writing biographies, by constantly posting and updating everything they're eating and doing and saying and watching online. It's why people start podcasts and it's why people are continually letting you know what is happening in their lives. In our passage today, Paul talks about himself a lot. He talks about himself a lot. In fact, for the next two to three weeks, Paul's going to be talking about himself. And this happens a lot in his letters. He talks about his travels, what what God has done, who's been joining him and who's left him, his suffering. But Paul is not oversharing because it feels good. There's a purpose, a theological purpose to his account. You see, Paul had preached to the churches in Galatia. He preached the gospel of unmerited favor. It was salvation through faith. It's not by our own works, but by the work of Christ alone on our behalf. And after Paul left this church, a group of men came in and they started to distort this gospel that Paul had introduced. And they were most likely Jewish men who had a high view of the Old Testament law. They probably agreed with some of Paul's gospel. Yeah, you need to believe that Jesus is Christ to be saved, but you also have to adhere to to these elements of the law. Theirs was a gospel plus gospel. We talked about this last week. A counterfeit gospel that said, yeah, it's good that you like Jesus and all, but you need to do this, this, and this to truly become a child of God. And part of their strategy was to undermine and question the authority of Paul. You know that guy, Paul, who came in and preached this this gospel to us? Man, he's not a real apostle. He's not one of the original disciples that followed Jesus. He's not from Jerusalem like those guys are. 
were called by Jesus in, in Jerusalem. The capital A apostles were the 12 leaders of the early church. They were with Jesus. They were his first messengers after his resurrection. If Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, these guys were the foundation of the early church. And these false teachers argue that, Paul, you're not one of those guys. You're not one of those guys. You're, you're inferior. Therefore, your gospel message is inferior. You know what? I bet you heard the gospel from, from one of those apostles and then distorted it and twisted it. Or maybe you just made up this gospel all by yourself, Paul. And so they're undermining Paul's credibility. They probably were also saying that Paul, I mean, Paul come in, comes in here and he's taking away from the true gospel the requirements of the law to please the Gentiles. Paul is coming in and saying, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this so that he can gain approval and favor from the Gentiles when in fact they do have to do those things to be saved. Paul's doing it for approval. Paul's doing it to gain followers, to win people over to his cause. And so this entire section, Paul's testimony, in part, is to defend these accusations. And it's to establish his credibility as a gospel preacher and why he has authority to preach this gospel and why they should listen to him. But I believe there's another reason for Paul's sharing of his testimony. And so we're kind of going to look at this passage two different angles. Turn to Galatians 1. I encourage you to, we have new bulletins there. If you're new here, you can scan that QR code on your phone. That lets us know you're here. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but you can take notes. I encourage you to take notes. We don't do slides a lot uh, up here. I want you guys, I don't want the slide to be like, ding, and then you write notes down. I just, just take whatever notes you feel like God is, is leading you to take, but, but be in God's word. We're in Galatians 1, verse 10. Galatians 1, verse 10. We're going to read through this whole passage. For, I'm now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard in my former life in Judaism how I persecuted a, the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him from the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas Peter and, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, the only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Go back up to verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I was seeking the approval of man, if I was trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Most likely this is in response to the accusation that Paul was stripping away from the quote-unquote true gospel, the requirements of the law to, to gain, gain the approval of the Gentiles. Here he would be saying, I'm not worried about making them happy. <laughs> I'm not worried about tickling their ear. I love them. Therefore, I am worried about truth. I'm worried about the thing that can save them. If I wanted to make everyone happy, Paul says, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. He's like, I, if, if I, when I was a Pharisee, in my former life, I had all the approval I needed. Things were good. I was looked up to. You know what's happened since I've met Jesus? I've been beaten up. <laughs> I've been persecuted. I've been left. If I wanted to please man, I wouldn't have become a servant of Christ. Pleasing people. This is like a little sub point for you. Pleasing people and serving Christ are often incompatible. As a pastor, I cannot worry about the approval of man. I have to be worried about pleasing God. Man, if I, if I needed approval, I wouldn't be wearing a Chiefs jersey <laughs> this, this morning. And I'd probably put on a Broncos jersey, you know. Not that there's one I'd probably buy right now. Uh, maybe a Von Miller one. Oh, nope, Von Miller got traded. He's playing for the Rams today in the NFC Championship. But you get my point. <laughs> you get my point. Pleasing people and serving Christ are, are incompatible. Again, he's starting to establish his credibility. I'm not here for a selfish reason or to gain approval. Look at 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to be by me is not man's gospel, for I, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Three times he essentially says the same thing to establish his credibility. The gospel I received is not from man. The gospel I received is not from man. It is from God himself. Man, we are very unoriginal. Every gospel, every salvation message produced by man is essentially the same thing. It is works driven. There's a point system. It's like a game. And you gotta do these good things to, to get points, or you gotta jump through this hoop, and you gotta you gotta take this step, and you gotta turn this way, and you gotta pray this way, and you gotta do all these things to gain points. And if you gain enough points, you get to level up. You get to go to the next level. Man's gospels 
are very unoriginal. They're always based on human merit, human achievement, human works to somehow gain God's favor. You know why? Because we want to say in our own salvation. At the end of the day, we want to be able to look at, look, look at ourselves and say, man, I did a pretty good job today. That's satisfying to be able to say that, right? I killed it today. God must be impressed. We want the glory. Man could not dream up the gospel that God has given us. Do you know why? Because he gets the glory. He gets the glory. My message is from God. It was given to me by God. Furthermore, Paul's calling was from God. Look at verse 13. You've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I didn't consult with anyone, nor, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now there's a lot going on here, which we're going to talk about and really unpack in a second. But to establish his credibility, Paul is essentially saying, I was called and commissioned by God himself. I was called and commissioned by Jesus. It talks about it here. Doug talked about it on the Damascus Road in Acts 6. God came. He called me. He beckoned me. And he revealed himself to me. Therefore, I'm, 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 what I have to say may be something worthwhile. Now, most professionals love to do this. Pastors love to do this. They love to post their degrees and their certificates all over their walls. And, and, and they also like to have like a ton of books. And, and, and the whole idea here is, is like, there's, there's my undergrad, check it out, pretty smart. Uh, there's my, my MDiv, there's my demon, my PhD. Uh, here's my, my pastoral license, here's my certificate. And, and the whole idea is there is, look at all this, I'm somebody you can trust, right? Like, I'm somebody worth listening to. Now, Paul's like, God called me, God commissioned me. My calling and commissioning did not come from the other apostles. I didn't go to Jerusalem right after I was saved. And in fact, I didn't go to Jerusalem University with the other apostles. But do you know who my professor was? It was Jesus. And he's a pretty good teacher. And so maybe I'm, again, somebody that has something good to say here. Jesus himself called and commissioned me to share this gospel of grace. Again, he adds to his credibility here at verse 18. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. The idea here is he's not getting training a lot. He's spending two weeks. That's not a ton of time. He's not getting a seminary education, but he is spending some time with the apostles. Verse 20, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it. The only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified me because, or they glorified God because of me. The idea here is that others approved Paul's gospel. He said, I went to Jerusalem and I had a good hang with, with, with Peter. I spent some time with James and, I, and I'm sure they just didn't talk about the weather. I'm sure they talked about the gospel. <laughs> and it looks like their messages aligned. And so Paul is saying in a sense, yes, my, my gospel didn't come from these men. But these men and I, our gospels align because we've received them both through God's revelation to us. Paul shares his story to establish his authority as a gospel preacher. He said, my message, my calling is from God and others you look up to have given me their stamp of approval. Now, Paul also uses his testimony to illustrate the power and validity of the gospel. His own life is evidence that the gospel he preaches is real. And he hopes that others will find Christ through his story. You learn a lot about God through Paul's testimony here. Again, go back to verse 13. We're going we're gonna to really look at his testimony and what we learn about God and what Paul is trying to reveal about God through his testimony so that some may know and find Jesus. Look at verse 13. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. In his former life, Paul was a terrorist who wanted to destroy the church. He took Christians from their home and he threw them into prison. He was either directly or indirectly responsible for many of their deaths. Paul was not a good person. He was a bad dude. And it's easy to think when we come to church and we're hanging around Christians to think to ourselves, God wants nothing to do with a person like me. Pastor, if I, if, I, if I shared with you what I used to do, you'd blush. Guys, try me. I've heard it all. But you think that, man. My past has disqualified me from becoming a child of God. I, there's no way, there's no way that the God of the universe would ever want anything to do with someone like me. In 2012, 
Lance Armstrong was banned from, from all sports that follow the World Anti-Doping Agency because he was a dope and a doper. We all had Live Strong bracelets, right? It was really like steroid strong. <laughs> and he got in trouble. And he's banned now from, from competing in, in the sport he grew up loving and racing in. The president of cycling had this to say, Lance Armstrong has no place in cycling. He deserves to be forgotten in cycling. He's disqualified himself. Some of you feel like Lance Armstrong. <laughs> I made this mistake, I've made these mistakes, therefore I'm now disqualified from knowing and being in a relationship with God. We see with Paul that God saves, he comes after bad people. <laughs> Paul was the worst. <laughs> he was not a good man. That's one thing we learn about God. Look at verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. To the church, Paul was a bad man. To the culture of that day, Paul would have been a, a, a religious hero, a leader. Because he was zealous for God. If, if following God and, and obeying God was, you know, if religion was like medical school, Paul is saying, I was at the top of my class. And I was, I was religious with a, with a capital R. My life was, was bent around uh, sincerely trying to obey God and, and doing what he wanted. I was religious, Paul says, but he says, I miss Jesus altogether. Here's the scary part. You can be sincere and your devotion, but also be sincerely wrong. You can be sincere and sincerely wrong. It's easy to think that as long as a person is sincere in, in their religious beliefs, in their religious devotion, no matter their faith background, doesn't matter if they're you know, Hindu, Buddhist, you know, Muslim, it, it, as, long as, they're, as long as they're authentically trying to follow God, they're good with the big guy upstairs, whatever form he may take. That's not what we see. Paul's like, I was, I was religious, but I didn't know who Christ was. So Paul saves bad people, or God saves bad, you know, quote unquote bad people. God has also come to save, quote, and there's heavy quotes here, quote, unquote, good people, religious people, people who think they're good and going in the right direction. So, so here's Paul. I was, I was in one way trying to destroy the church, in one way zealous. I know what it's like to try to follow the law, to try to do these things. I was religious. I was religious. I went to church every day. I taught in Sunday school. Uh, I gave. Uh, you know, uh, I sat in the front row with my hands raised. Um, but, but I missed Jesus. I was going down this path 
of destruction, destroying people and headed towards destruction myself. And then we get this great conjunction here in verse 15. But, underline that. But, when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. God had his eye on me before I was even born. If you know Jesus, God had his eye on you before you were even born. And God came and caused a great interruption. He called me by his grace, not because I was lovable. He didn't look down on earth and say, man, that guy's got it together. I was a misled, misguided terrorist. But God in his grace and love called me and revealed his son to me. I had cataracts, glycoma, eye patches. I was nearsighted, farsighted. I was legally blind. And God came and revealed to me the beauty of who Jesus Christ was. I was in need. I needed a savior. Jesus Christ was that savior. He came, took my place on the cross so that my sins could be erased. God came and interrupted and upended Paul's life. I like that conjunction, but, and I cannot lie, you other brothers might deny but I, I like that conjunction because we all have a but moment in our life if we know Christ. But God came and upended my life and brought me on my knees. But, you know, I was going this way. I, I was doing these things. But God brought this coworker into my life and he started inviting me over for, for dinner with my family. And, and through him, the gospel became real to me. But God, you know, brought a neighbor next to me and they shared the gospel with me. They invited me to church. I heard clearly who Jesus was for the first time and I trusted my life to him because of what he had done. For We all have a, a but moment. But God stepped in. But God started moving in my heart. He started to, to, to soften my, my prideful, arrogant, rebellious heart. You know, I thought I was good, but God came and revealed himself to me and showed me that maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was and that I needed to be saved. Look at verse 16. In order that, if you want to underline something else, underline that. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God saves bad people. God saves religious people. God comes and interrupts our lives and upends and transforms us and calls us. But he does it for a purpose. In order that, that's a statement of purpose, so that... I might go and preach the gospel. I was, I was reading this week. God revealed himself to Paul so that he might reveal himself through Paul. His call came with a, a commission. If you claim to, to know Jesus Christ, if you've claimed to be transformed by his grace, if you claim to be called, that calling came with a, a commission. 
We have the same commission today. You're like, wait, we didn't talk about Paul. They didn't talk about me. Well, 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That sounds very familiar to Paul's conversion story. And then it says this, that you, <laughs> in order that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When we put our trust in the gospel, we are then commissioned to share it with others. So if you're sitting in this room and God has revealed his son to you, you are now on a mission to share that good news with other people. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're a psychologist. I don't care if uh, you're a teacher in a school. I don't care if you're a building engineer. I don't care if you're a student. I don't care if you do something with trains that I still don't fully understand. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care if you're a stay-at-home uh, parent. I, I don't care if you do engineering projects. I don't care if you teach little kids. At the top of your job description is gospel preaching. You have been commissioned to share the gospel of Christ. God wants to work through you to reveal that to others. Maybe we learn so much about God here through Paul's testimony. God saves bad people. God saves good people. God comes and interrupts and calls and transforms, but it's all for a purpose. He doesn't share his testimony because he loves talking about himself. Paul's not trying to build his brand. He's not building the business here. He uses his history to establish his credibility by helping his readers understand that the gospel of grace he preaches is not a man-made gospel. Man, our, our, that book you have in your hand, that, that gospel message, it comes with power because it was, it was given to us by the author of life. It's not invented by man. It wasn't created by a spiritual dream team thousands of years ago. It's not man's best attempt at trying to understand who God is and, and how we might please him. What you have in your hand is God revealing himself to us and giving us a way, a way for us to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, putting our faith in him. Our gospel message comes with power. That's why we should share it. And I love the way Paul shares it here. I love the idea of sharing it through our testimonies. If you're gonna write anything down, you can write this down. Our gospel is from God and we can share it through our faith story. Our gospel is from God and we can share that gospel through our faith stories. One of the most compelling ways to share the gospel is through your own testimony. Sometimes we hear the word evangelism and we think knocking on doors, standing on street corners, handing out pamphlets, you know, that's, if, if God calls you to that, great. But I think story, not just in, it's not just about facts, it, it engages the heart. It engages the whole person because we reveal truth, but we do it in a way that involves 
what that has felt like, what we have experienced. And leader Shelby Abbott once talked about the benefits of evangelizing, sharing our faith through our stories. He said, it's not a debate. (laughs) It doesn't become a debate. It's not pushy. It's not fake. And it doesn't feel like religious propaganda because it's coming from your heart. Very rarely, he says, will people argue with you about your story? In fact, they're more likely to engage and ask clarifying questions, which in turn pushes the dialogue about Jesus to a personal level. And you may say, man, my testimony's not that great. And I grew up in the church. Man, if God is involved in your testimony, it is great. A miracle happened. He brought you from death to life. If you don't think your testimony is great, what you're essentially saying, what Jesus did for me wasn't that great. I mean, if you're the hero of your story, yeah, it may not be super great, but we want to make Jesus the hero of our story. And you may ask, well, how, how, do, I, how do I share my testimony? How many of you have actually like written, raise your hand, written down your testimony before? Okay, we've got four, five in here. I, I highly encourage you to write down your faith story. Spend time this week. Homework assignment. You can turn it in. I'll give you a gold star. But if you want to, I encourage you to highly write down your faith story this week. Where, where do I start? Well, here, here's the format. Let's get real educational. Look at your life like a timeline. That's what Paul did. He talked about it before. He talked about this great interruption and God revealing himself to us. And then he talked about life after this great interruption and his purpose and what he was called to do. I mean, talk about what your life was like before you met Jesus. And you may be like, I met Jesus when I was three. Well, talk about what your life was like before you really started taking Jesus seriously. Before you really owned Jesus. Your faith. I mean, talk about trying to find peace and, and, and contentment and, and, and life in things other than Jesus. Trying to earn salvation. Maybe you were a quote-unquote bad person. Maybe you were running drugs up from Mexico on your Harley. Maybe you were, I don't know why I look at you, Matt. I, I don't know if you do that. Uh, <laughs> that's not, he didn't do that. At least I don't think you did that. But hey, man, it's still okay. Use that as your testimony. Talk about it. You may be like, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I it, to Talk about it. Hey, I thought I was good, man. I thought I grew up was good. And then, and then God really, really revealed to me the depth of my sin. And then share your great interruption. But God brought this person into my life. And I saw the way that he loved his family. I saw the way that he loved his kids. And I asked him, what's all this about? And I start to to feel God's calling on my life. I start to feel my heart soften. And I said, I want that. And when you, when you talk about this middle part, this great transformative interruption, share the gospel. Use gospel language. Don't use churchy language. Use gospel language. Talk about need. I needed a savior. I needed someone to save me from my predicament, from sin and death. I realized that Jesus was that very 
Savior. Talk about grace. I didn't work for it. I simply put my faith in Christ. Talk about eternal life. Now I have God with me forever. Use, use gospel language. And then talk about the after. But life is like now. And it doesn't have to be all butterflies and rainbows. Don't be inauthentic and be like, everything's great. Doesn't mean it isn't. There is. But do you know what? This is what I say about my after. Not everything's perfect, but I have hope. <laughs> I have, have peace when things look rough and, and hard and challenging. I have a God who comforts me. I have a God who knows what that feels like. I have his presence. I have someone to trust. It's brought me fellowship with other believers who aren't perfect, but they love me for some reason. And I've also been given purpose, just like Paul. I have a reason for waking up every morning. I know why I have been put on this earth. And that is to share who God is with others and how they may know him. Write down your testimony. Type out your testimony. Voice dictate your testimony this week. I highly encourage you to do that. And then, then week two, share it. Maybe not to share the whole thing, but share what God is doing in your life. Because that is what you were created to do. Let's pray.